and welcome to the Protective Insight Podcast presented by ProCypher. We're happy to honored to have one of our trusted partners here, guest Pablo Ortiz Monasterio from AS3 Driver Training. I've been very fortunate to know Pablo here for the last couple of years, both as a colleague and a friend and as a student. Um, I feel we're going to get some really good insight today about security drivers, what they are, who they may be. Uh, but to start it off, Please, Pablo, introduce us to you. Um, let our audience know who you are, uh, who AS3 is, what where you guys are, how they can get a hold of you, and how can they get their hands on some of that fantastic training you guys have. Absolutely. Thank you very much for the invite. It's, uh, it's great to be here. I love speaking, so I think this is going to go smoothly. Uh, well, AS3 was born out of a necessity that we saw. Uh, it started out in security in Mexico in the year 2000. I was invited to partake or to be a part of a group that did kidnap and ransom negotiations at the time. And at the time, kidnap was very big in Mexico. It was one of the worst things, one of the worst uh, crimes being committed against principals. And uh, so I, I got invited to this group. I took part. First, I was you know, just there to to fill seats and then eventually i started getting involved more and more uh after 2004 i decided that was not my thing it was things started changing drastically in the way uh these type of cases were managed and uh and i thought that the experience that i got within these four years that i've been doing that there was some opportunity to create something new and to to give back uh, to the community. And uh, so I tested several things. And one of the things that I saw is uh, I never, I've never done that before, but uh, I, can, I got invited to this and I kind of always thought that there was something missing because they would teach you drills and they would, you know, go, you have to do this and you have to do that. And I said, how, how do I know that this is the real thing? How, how do I know that that's going to play? That's how, how it's going to play out when I get a gun to my face and when when we actually are faced with a situation. So my brother at the time was a, a professional race car driver. He was doing car racing professionally. So I, nice. you know, I, I invited him to a couple of these courses and, uh, he immediately outdrove the, the instructors. And that's where you say, well, how can you have somebody that's never taken one of these courses that does not know anything about security and it's outdriving the instructors. So there's gotta be something missing. So we actually went out looking and uh, we found several courses in the US that had a different approach that had a more realistic, more structured approach and we went with that. We learned from them. We learned from some of the best, uh, you know, courses that were there at the time. And then we went back to Mexico and we started trying it out. But the, the, the thing in Mexico is you get to try things out in the real world. It's not just the track is they go out and they get into trouble and they come back and they tell you about it. Not all of this trouble means they got shot at, although a lot of people did, but accidents, uh, things that we thought that were not, didn't play out as we thought they would in the real life. So we started adapting this onto, to the point where we we realized that the key to what we did was in, in measuring and creating a real measure in terms of what 
the skills were that we were building were like and for that we reached out to the to the racing industry which invests the most money per mile probably in measuring their drivers and trying to improve skill and we met, we, we borrowed some of the technology the telemetry com, uh, computers that they use and we brought it into the security um, ambience and so we started trying out the drivers and we started noticing that even though we did all these drills and all these scenarios, the skills were not there. So by using these computers, you can actually tell that. And so we, we redesigned most of our courses to build a mindset instead of a, a specific skill for a specific scenario. We, we, we switched the way we saw things because we then we got involved in, uh, and with a lot of people that you and I have discussed, uh, Jim, like Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman, uh, I started getting obsessed with the, with the, presentations and the studies of uh, Colonel John Boyd from the U.S. Air Force. Um, and I mean, getting obsessed because there's not a lot out there. It's very hard to find uh, the actual presentations, but but it's 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 fascinating all the science that has been produced in regards and how hu humans and how the human brain works in regards to training and to adapting to a certain scenario. And then we have the other problem that uh, you know most private companies, as opposed to law enforcement, military, their the most valuable asset is time so it would we we found that it was unrealistic saying that we were going to develop a certain skill within two days of being at the track and then not doing that again for another two years so we went back and redesigned the, the way we did things so that we would build this skill over time periodically after people come back but we would create a new mindset from right from the get-go so people would understand first of all what their limitations or capabilities are limitations being set first because that's the most important part mm -hmm. and you you, you kind of like phase them with physics and uh, the beauty about physics is they don't change anywhere in the world they are not the laws of physics they're not subject to interpretation it's not like uh, you you go somewhere else and they behave differently so and and that's where all this technology worked is because when we installed these computers in the car this is giving us two things. First, it's guaranteeing that the that the exercises resemble real life in terms of the forces being applied to the vehicle. And then it gives us the percentage of the vehicle's capability that the person is using at all times. So that allows us to face people with different kinds of scenarios and different kinds of circumstances where they can learn what their limitations are to create a mindset that will allow them to make decisions based on a real understanding. And when I say real understanding, and, and I know uh, Tony Blauer would disagree with me when I say muscle memory, but I think for, for lack of a better term and, and to simplify things, muscle memory is a good term. It creates a muscle memory of what your tool can do. If you can't understand what your tool can and cannot do, it's very hard to make decisions in a, in a stressful situation. So what we do is instead of teaching people to keep control, we kind of push them over the limit. And we, we want them to be able to experience and realize the sequence of situations and feelings that get you to that edge and over the edge to lose control so that you can eventually realize in, in, in your own terms what are the sequence of decisions that you have to make to always keep it within that control or within that threshold so that is how as3 driving was born we uh we invested a lot of money in, in resources in in understanding this technology understanding the human mind and trying to focus on what can we do in two days to actually make you better at what you are without creating an 
uh, how would you say, like, uh, it's called an unconscious incompetence, according to Norbert, uh, no, talking about, right? And so, so it's it's very dangerous when when you go out into the world thinking you can do something you cannot do. Actually, it was I think it was uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson that said it's not what you don't know that gets into trouble; it's what you think you know for a fact that just ain't so. And uh, so that is basically it. That's how we was born. We started testing all this. We started getting less and less situations with our drivers. People were getting into less uh, accidents. They were able to understand and foresee a situation before it happened we kind of eliminated that factor of surprise of when the car is doing something you do not expect and you start reacting to it so uh so it worked and then after after a while after perfecting it in mexico in the in the fires of hell <laughs> we, <laughs> we we took it to the u.s market and the beauty about it is most of it has been tested before so now you can you can and and you've been through it uh, Jim and you saw that a lot of the, the things we do are unorthodox and not what everybody else is doing. But at the end of the day, is is what you what you take out of it, and when you actually face with that situation, that you can go back to that and say, "Hey, I've actually made it without thinking because I've already experienced that before." So that's basically it. How can people find us? Just as3driving.com. That's the best way. That's incredible. That's incredible. That's incredible. I, I, for me as well, that's that's such a vital part of of training of all sorts that that is missed. That kind of inbuilt pressure testing of what you're going to do. You know, you, you you're very often equipped with a one or two day seminar on something, and then gone. Best of luck. <laughs> on you go. See see how you deal with this in a in a real world practical scenario, right? So to have that built into your you know your training philosophy, your training. Uh, as, as a whole, I just think is awesome. That's really cool. Yeah, I think the other thing was understanding what in Mexico we call the 95% fallacy. And it's that people in executive protection spend 95% of their time training for <laughs> things that they will not use in 95% yeah. of the situations. And that when actually they will need to use, they will fail at yeah. using them in 95% of the cases. And that's because they are so scarce. We're, we 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 go with all those unconscious. It's, it's actually called the availability heuristic, right? We tend to remember things that are more impressive, kind of like kidnappings and attacks and things like that, more than the fender bender, more than the people that you know the accidents that happen every day. Yeah. We kind of like normalize that risk and tend to put it in a second tier to what we see in the movies and what we think is going to be the worst uh, case scenario. And that worst case scenario is might never come. Yeah. Better to train for the most likely event. And then that worst case scenario, whenever it comes, it's gonna be a lot easier because you understand what you can and cannot do. 100%. And I think that's probably one of the biggest things we see today, right, Pablo, is like, as far as like a trend, um, it's still a term from, from Mike Pinone that he recently used, I absolutely loved, if he still these Instagram and social media instructors and all these new companies popping up with all these great courses. It's entertainment, right? It's entertainment under the guise that they're, they're training. Um, and I just saw one not too long ago from some people that we know out there in Arizona showing a video of uh, this course, you know, and they have a, a vehicle stop. It looks like they were ambushed. And then everyone in the car has got mock paint on them. They've all been shot and blown up. And this is for EP training. 
And I'm like, well, last I checked, our EP teams weren't fighting wars in combat where they're going to see like these mass casualties with guys wearing ballistic helmets and everything and having to treat all that, right? That's not going to be our job is to stop and treat, right? If we're protecting our principles and moving our teams, we're not there. We're not the medicals. We're not a corpsman. We're not, you know, we're not in a war zone. But that's the stuff that, that seems to, to sell. Um, and yes. I, I think and, and they, they actually talk about high risk environments like Mexico, where something like that would happen. And I can't find one. I mean, there, in Mexico, there's been some really hard uh, ambushes, but I can't really find one that actually looks like what they're what they're saying here. No, and, and, and that's like the biggest the biggest issue that, that I see with all this is, like you said, is they're taking all this right. They're taking the what if game, which you should be playing in a healthy, realistic manner. Right, of taking those probability things of what we may see, what we may experience. So, for a driver or EP driver, say in the US, then there's certain things. What are the trends in the state that you're going to? You know, you're out there in California, you know, we all know there's certain interstates that are parkways. Okay, well, what, what should we be training for? I don't know, maybe evasive maneuvers, understanding lane changes, how to get on and off exits, or what we need to do, and how those contingency plans are we given enough spacing in between to move around to give us avenues of ingress and egress? Or are we going to sit here and some other things I've seen and gotten videos on of guys being ambushed and being shot at and trying to fight from inside a vehicle, which is a really unrealistic manner in itself. And it's like, that's not. I, I do come from a place where you do get into that kind of situation where you get ambushed. And let me tell you something. Once you're ambushed, once that vehicle stops, there's nothing you can do. It doesn't really no, matter what are your skills. You can, you can be Delta Force. You can, you can have you, you you might have the best skills in the world but once in you, you're in that situation they usually outgun you they usually control the environment they control the situation you're just there for the right and if you try to fight it's going to make things a lot worse if you have an accurate ambush and they've done their job right action beats reaction and about time Absolutely. you were able to identify and respond to the event it's too late. And like you said, if you stop the car, you know, or the car becomes immobilized, okay, and that just made our situation even worse and more dire. We're not going to sit in the car. We need to get out of the car. The more we can move and change our position, why do I want to be in this steel box that limits my movement and think I'm going to be able to stand there and trade, you know, gunfire per se with a guy or multiple people that have ambushed my vehicle? <laughs> You know, they're all around me and I'm one spot and can't move. So if they just keep penetrating that vehicle, I mean, I'll, you know where to find me and, and send my body to my family because uh, that's <laughs> it. I have to get I got to move. Yeah. There was Absolutely. A, and, and, but, I'm sorry. Ben, go ahead. I was, I was just going to say there was a, there was a, a viral example of this in, uh, in South Africa uh, a, a couple that's of years ago. Yeah, yeah. There was a, a it was a, a vehicle moving money from bank to bank, from shop to shop. Uh, and as they're driving down their their motorway, their freeway, I don't I don't know what it's called in South Africa. Uh, you can hear the pop 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 towards the side of the towards the side of the side of the vehicle. And the, the the guy, the driver, his only concern was about giving himself enough distance, enough room that him and his partner they can they can make their escape, they can make their egress. Right, uh, it's for the for the protection of themselves. The money can be replaced. <laughs> the money's insured. That, that doesn't matter. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But, but here's the, but here's the thing. Coming back to uh, what, what Jim was saying and using your example is, 
in Mexico, when you're planning something like that, first you have to understand what's the motive, right? You have to define what are the motives that people might have against you. If somebody wants to kill you, it's very hard to mitigate that. It's because, mo and thankfully, most of the of the situations that you have is kind of like what happened in South Africa. It's about the money. It's not about killing them. It's about the money. They might get shot to be able to uh, to get into that money. But then you have the right tools. If you're if in Mexico, and I can give you several examples, like uh, the Secretary of Public Safety of Mexico City, the Secretary of Public Safety of Morelia, the Secretary of Public Safety for Tijuana, or uh, Baja California in, uh, in Mexicali. And all of them have something common. They, got, they were ambushed, they were shot at, and they survived. And it was not about the driver. And maybe, maybe in the case of, uh, of uh, Baja California, Manuel Diaz Lerma, it was about the driver because he always kept that vehicle moving. But the one thing they all had in common is they were all driving in armored vehicles. The only way that kid is not going to be successful is if you're moving in an armored vehicle. Otherwise, you've lost because that... Mm. I mean, the, the, the Secretary of Public Safety for Morelia, they actually extracted 2,300 uh, bullets from the car. That's 2,300 bullets from that car. And none of them hit her because she hid underneath the, the dashboard. But again, the driver had no chance because the vehicle was stopped. The driver was there for the ride, just as anybody would be. In the case of the, the Secretary of Public Safety for Mexico City, again, they crossed a truck a cargo truck right in front of his armored suv he had nowhere to go i, I wasn't there so i'm not gonna talk about what the driver did wrong or, or not but uh but at the end of the day he was saved by the armory so if you have somebody that has that kind of risk regardless of where he's gonna be an armored vehicle might do the trick and then you just train your driver to to drive that armored vehicle in a safe manner and how it would save time in case of a, in case of an ambush. You don't have to train your armor to, or, I'm sorry, your driver to be a super driver, to be a superhero, Captain America, come out of that car and fight his way through the ambush. It's just give them the right tools and give them the right training, the right mindset to de-escalate the situation and get out of there as soon as possible. And then you're buying yourself an insurance policy, right? Instead of giving them tools that they might never use and Without, if, if people are aggressive and they've been taught to be aggressive, and this, this is something that, that goes back to the Greeks. Uh, there was a, this Greek philosopher called Archilochus that used to say, if you think that you're going to rise to the situation in a time of high stress, you're wrong. You're going to sink to the level of your training. So if you've trained somebody to be aggressive, when they come to this point, and, and Colonel Dave Grossman speaks very, very clearly about this in his book on combat. Once you've trained, that's already programmed into your amygdala. That's that's automatic reaction. If you've been trained to be aggressive and to try to fight your way out, the moment your brain shuts down, because your brain's going to start shutting down from the top down, the, the creative part, the part that makes decisions, yeah. reform the cortex, that's the first thing to go, right? You're going to go back to your primal reptilian brain. And if that reptilian brain has been trained to be aggressive, you're going to resort to violence, which is only going to raise the level of violence in return on retaliation. And if you don't have the tools, and when I say the tools, because this is a question that I asked once in a, in a course that I took here in the US, well, what about Mexican cartels? How do you deal with that if you had to move a, a principle? Because it really doesn't matter how many weapons you have on you, they're gonna have more. And somebody there raised his hand and said, well, you just bring more, bring more people, bring more. It's, it's impossible. What is the end? What is the end? 
right? <laughs> it, it, it never ends. You have to take a step back, understand your situation and give them the right tools and find a way to deescalate the, 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 the situation or just plainly get out of there. And uh, so the thing that we learned uh, down in Mexico and in South America is, first of all, cartels don't have a deal. They, they don't care about you most of the time. If they care about you, you didn't, you've done something wrong. You shouldn't, you shouldn't be there. And uh, good advice. If, you, if, if you're going to, I beg your pardon. I was just saying that's good advice. Right. Well, and, and yeah, and then you need to learn to de-escalate the situation because there's no firepower on earth that one person can have to deal with that. Even the army, the Mexican army, the Navy, they've been dealing with this or they've been fighting with these cartels for a long time. And the way to fight them is not head on because they will fight back and they have access to, they have unlimited resources. You have to be smart, you have to play it differently. And then they mingle within the people. They, they, they feed into the population. How do you find them? How do you know who they are? So if you have a principal that has to go to a very dangerous place where he risks being kidnapped, what do you do? Well, you talk to the locals. You find a way to get them there, de-escalate the situation in advance, and, and then assess the risk in a, in a, in a real way, not in a, in a way of how you're going to fight them, because you're not going to be able to fight them. You need to de-escalate the situation. You need to deal with them. You need to let them know in advance, in some cases, that you're going to be there and that you have nothing to do with them, that you that it would not interfere with their job. That's the government job. That's a, that's the police job to, to deal with. You just want to be there. I come in peace. And then also the, one of the, the, the biggest rules for, for these type of places is one of the things that they teach in, in, uh, in situational awareness. And uh, Jim and I have talked about this uh, very, very for, for long periods of time is you have to always look for anomalies right, before you make decisions. Well, look at it the other way. You have to make sure you're never the anomaly. Because if you are the anomaly, they're going to want to know who you are and what you're doing. 100%. Which is understanding, you know, what low profile work actually is. What kind of covert pro And really what it comes down to, Pablo, and correct me wrong, ego suppression, right? You have to suppress your ego because you have to come off. I mean, you can't be a threat. You can't come off threatening. You can't sit there and, and walk through those particular areas like you are, you know, in a military combat zone like you own the place because you don't. You know, they own it. And you need to respect it and understand it and learn how to work within the confines and parameters of those rules. Right. And if you can't, I mean, it's just like I, I hear it all the time. Right. And, uh, and I know you probably hear it a lot more than me. I see all the time with new guys and EP guys. Everybody wants to go to a high threat area. Everybody wants to, for some reason, everyone thinks Mexico is the place to be, which is which is fine. I'd rather give work to people like Pablo to have experience and, and handle Mexico. And a gringo like myself walking around isn't really the best option sometimes. <laughs> and have to do that. But, you know, these guys are like, oh, man, well, they have guns. Like you said, we'll bring guns. And I'm like, you know, actually the best option you can have in a lot of these is to not be armed at all. Because just Absolutely. the mere fact of having a firearm and them spotting a firearm and seeing a firearm on you, no matter how much de-escalation you may think you can do, the fact that you're carrying a weapon, they're going to deem that as a threat regardless. And good luck trying to talk yourself out of it. You've got a better chance mm -hmm. and saying, look, 
like Pablo said, hey man, I got nothing to do with it. You guys are running, doing your thing. We're just trying to go here, go down the street, have some tacos, enjoy Mexico and go home. Got nothing to do with what you guys are doing. And I'm just trying to maneuver in and out that environment safely and effectively. And it's always key to have an understanding of some people and resources that are from those countries, South America, Mexico, reach out to them. What's the pulse going on? Hey, we have a client that wants to go from the U.S. to here. Pablo, you're very familiar with Mexico City. What, what does it look like? You know, what are some tips, suggestions, and things like that that we need to do? And it might be better off with saying, hey, we'll send down there here, and, and Pablo may have a team to set up and let them work your client. That might be a better option sometimes until it's time to get to the airport and leave. You know, you just got to know when to, you know, back off <laughs> and have a better understanding because every culture is different, and not everyone is going to be as accepting of, the anomaly coming into that environment because right. I can tell you, I'm, I, I'm sorry, go, go on. Oh, I was going to say like for me going into Mexico, I stick out like a sore thumb, you know, people will look at me and look and identify like, Hey, this guy's not from this particular area. Isn't, you know, so they're going to want to question and then they're going to want to test it too. Am I a, a naive type tourist or person? Is it, <laughs> am I somebody they're going to want to try to pickpocket <laughs> or harass? <laughs> And, and 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 here and you're 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 touching a very very uh, interesting subject there. Uh, yes, but one has you have to understand what what your risks are, what you're exposing yourself to when you're in different places, right? Everybody likes to think about the cartels and how the cartels turned Mexico into the. We have of the ten most dangerous cities in the world, we have six. But this is the cartels; they're killing each other. They're not really killing or or you know messing around with civil, civilian population that's not good business for them and uh so the risk in mexico is more to be mugged to be you know express kidnapping is very big but i'm trying to understand that mexico has you know grown a a, a reputation for being a very dangerous place some places in south america as well venezuela colombia brazil is way more dangerous than mexico but here's the thing i just i went to a a, a meeting the other day with uh with I'm just, let's just leave it at u.s authorities were speaking about the subject but it was not public information so uh I, and well, the information i i can use but maybe not the source and they were saying you're you're a lot more likely to get stabbed over your watch in San Francisco than you are in Mexico City. So the way we measure risk has to do with the news, right? What is the thing that that makes us uneasy is the cartels and the firepower and the, their capabilities, which are enormous and they're sometimes unmeasurable. But the real situation in Mexico against regular people has nothing to do with that. It has to do more with regular uh, muggings, robbery, car theft, uh, express kidnapping. Express kidnapping is huge in Mexico because kidnapping used to be huge, but now they realize it's easier to just pick everybody at, at random, take them away, and based on what information they have on them, you know, on them, they will decide whether to keep them and, and negotiate afterwards or to just let them go. And most of the time, it's just your watch, your wallet, and if you can go around to ATMs, get some cash out. And that's about everything they they can they can think they can get or, or they want to get. But the problem is when you when you meet strain or when you don't you don't realize this. And we just had a situation with a with a 
the president of a major media company in Mexico. He was he, he used to, to do mountain biking with his friends and they were out in the middle of nowhere mountain biking and they had this this his driver and his bodyguard following them on an armored vehicle uh, from a little distance and somewhere in the middle as I said they were they were in the middle of nowhere and some somehow someone saw them and and thought that it was a good opportunity to get himself a new watch or you know maybe some cash so he went there and tried to rob them of their, their belongings whatever they had on them and the driver's reaction was to escalate the situation get his gun out and you know try to stop the, the thing so here it, it was a very good lesson for people that think that they can drive and shoot he couldn't he not only did he run over the principal's uh, bike and split it in half with an armored vehicle because he couldn't control that he shot his uh rear view mirror off and he shot his principal in the, in the stomach didn't make it. So when they did the first, when what you hear in the on the news is this guy got robbed, and the robber, when he saw that he had, uh, you know, protectors and protection, he shot him and, and ran away. And then when they did the ballistic test, it turns out the bullet came from his own driver that was trying to shoot the bad guy with his left hand, shot the rear view mirror, shot the principal, and the bad guy actually made it, made it out, and you know got away with whatever he could get, and uh, and the principal died, and that was just part of what we're talking about. If you teach violence, you're gonna get violence. You escalate a situation that would have ended with this, he might have lost his watch and it was probably not a very expensive watch because nobody goes bike riding with a Rolex, right? They go usually with a Garmin or, or mm. uh, you know, one of those uh, things that give you your, your vitals. Yeah, like so, a smartwatch. The, ex exactly, the smartwatch. So, well, and, and, and we can get on and on and on with different situations. When we've seen really violent ambushes, it usually has to do with government officials or army officials and people that have some kind of influence in which uh, they have something to gain by making a big show out of the situation. Very, very, very seldomly you will see somebody that is not in the public arena, is not in the, in the in politics or law enforcement to get ambushed that way and kill that way. Not here, not in Colombia, not in Brazil. Uh, usually it's a lot quieter. So, and that's why we we switched and we, we've been doing a, a, you know, a very, it's a titanical labor or, or, or goal to try to change or to shift paradigms and to change the minds of a lot of the people that, uh, that actually go through training. And in Mexico, we found that our biggest, uh, the people that are listening are usually the CSOs, the people that make decisions within the company, which are usually people that have a, a, a wider understanding of risk and their paradigms are a little bit different. And little by little, we have been able to reach to these people and say, you don't have the time to teach them special operations. You don't have the time to teach them how to jump out of a helicopter while holding their gun in the, in the air, right? You have to teach them the things that will save them from the biggest risk they will face as drivers. Our, our job right now is to, to teach people how to, how to be good drivers. We, we not, only, not only teach the, the professional drivers, we also teach the executives. 80% 80, 80 of, our, of our work is the drivers, but the other 20% is the executives and their families. We actually teach them how to do this themselves because the, the thing that kills most people in the streets in Mexico and in the U.S. is accidents. There's 48,000 people die every year in the U.S. from traffic accidents. 
And if, when, if we want to look at how many ambushes were successful in the U.S. Uh, last year in killing VIPs, they're probably zero, right? While you have the other 48,000. So we have to focus on the most immediate risk, which is sometimes giving them the skills to be able to foresee what the vehicle can and cannot do so that they stay out of risky situations where they can actually be responsible for getting into an accident or being part of an accident, which would kill their VIPs. And then once you have that, you, the mindset that will allow you to, dis, to to decide whether it's a good idea to run on, 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 you know, in, in, on a pursuit where you might be able to outdrive the other driver has to come from, from that mindset of understanding what the vehicle can and cannot do. But that has to come from muscle memory, uh, for lack of a better term. Well, it's, it's kind of, it sounds like, too, coming from having a, a realistic driving program, right, a good understanding of the role that you are undertaking. Now, there's a difference between a, a law enforcement police officer driving a car and an EP professional, you know, or, or dad just driving down the street. They're all going to have a unique variation of a role, but they're going to also have all the same fundamentals. And that's what I love what AS3 does with how you guys have incorporated the tech um, because having the opportunity of being a, a driving instructor for a while and teaching cops how to drive and government contractors um, taking your course last year I really enjoyed it because for the first time other than getting a time and don't hit this many cones and successfully navigating a course you actually had the computer analytics to sit here and tell you yeah you did this but you were pushing this threshold of the vehicle or you were not pushing the vehicle hard enough and you're going here so you can kind of see and measure your skill you kind of know what it feels like and get the better understanding and i really like being able to get that print out of that sheet at the end and and look at it and see okay and then i the other part that i revolt well for me personally because i am a competitive person is i like seeing how it tells me the rest of the class and how they average and how i averaged against them you know so let me know okay, where, where am i at and i love you you guys have computed a actual percentile that you have to go through to meet what a minimum standard is for a security driver and i look at it as that's a minimum standard right and and i think minimum standard is a term that is driven me nuts like it drove me nuts in, in law enforcement uh, in virginia per se because they give you a minimum standard to pass driving and firearms mm -hmm. and what i never liked about it is that when there's a minimum standard people only tend to teach to that standard. Uh, what I like with, with AS3 is there's a standard there, but you have a window where you can excel above it and see and push it. Because like you said, under stress, we're gonna fall to our highest level of the training. Well, if we're only training to that 70%, say in Virginia in the firearms range, and you got that officer that struggles and finally passes with a 70%, well, under stress, that shooting score drops about 30%. So you're 70% shooter who's barely hitting a target 70% of the time. Now under stress, when they're maybe being shot at or have to draw their weapon or use it in a safe life, others is now a 40% shooter. I personally don't like those those numbers. I don't like those numbers and knowing that that's someone that said it sent me, which is why with the departments each side work for, we always push for, yeah, the state says 70, but you're shooting 85. If you want to get on a SWAT team, you're shooting 90 to 95. You know, because we need to be the exception and not the everyday thing. So that would lead me to, can you define, because you guys deal with the security driver, what in AS3's definition, what is a security driver 
And since you've touched so much on the mindset part of it, what are those mindset components that makes a successful security driver? That, that's a, that's a good question. And uh, actually, the, there's a, there's a lot of uh, information out there. But security, security driver, in my opinion, and in in our experience, is and I, I borrowed this this term from the from the from the industry is somebody that I, that can get you safely from point A to point B and has the necessary skills to face any challenges that he might face within that point A and point B. Being an accident, being a threat, being the escalation of situations, being facing an ambush, even in some cases, right? Uh, but what does a security, what does the mindset require? The mindset require experiencing loss of control because once you've experienced loss of control, you know how it feels. And, and let me put it this way. Let's say you and, uh, and uh, you're driving down a back road, you know, full of turns and it's raining and you're driving next to another guy who has never taken one of these courses. You come at the same speed to a corner and then you start losing control because of the loss of grip on that corner. The difference between you and that other driver is, for that other driver, everything is a surprise. Everything is, that's happening is unknown. And our brains are very, very slow to react to these unknown situations. Uh, Daniel Kahneman refers to system one, system two. Your system one, based on heuristics, it, it goes very fast. Uh, doesn't really need to make decisions, but system one, I'm sorry, system two needs to analyze the situation, right? So you, system one, uh, or the, your downstairs brain, which is your, your amygdala and the stem of your, of your brain, usually doesn't analyze much more than the information it has on hand. The problem is that other driver is going to start analyzing the situation and trying to make the best decision based on common sense. But common sense takes a long time. So by the time he comes up with a solution, he's already against the wall or against you. While you saw that situation starting to develop, your your downstairs brain, your automatic brain, recognize it from where you did that before, and it's going to know exactly what's happening and what comes next. So it's going to brace for what comes next, or it's going to react to try to bring it back to the area of control. And this is this is something that uh, the Society for Automotive Engineers published a while back, is that uh, you know, regular drivers use 40% comfortably use about around 40% of the vehicle's capabilities. And it's when that vehicle starts going above 40% that it's doing things that they do not expect it to happen. So when you go to driving school, you get to you get to know what control feels like and how to stay within the, the, the rules, but you never get to experience what out of control feels like and being able to anticipate that situation that is going to play out through the whole process. So that's what, what the mindset is all about. It's knowing what comes next at every step of the process and knowing what you can do to bring it back to your comfort zone so that you can get out of that situation. No, I love it because I see a lot of time with a lot of new drivers and there. They have a hard time seeing past the headlights, right? They're, they're always like looking here, like near, instead of having their eyes up and out and looking to look through what reading the traffic, you know, so many people are slamming their brakes because they're so quick looking here, but no one's looking down the road and seeing what's going on around them. How, like you said, understanding the skill set of you can start anticipating, we can start predicting behaviors on the roadway. Go ahead, Pablo. I know you got a thought because, on that. Because, because when, when, what you're talking about is when you're driving, you're making decisions in the future. 
you're looking into the future because whatever you're looking at within two seconds is going to be where, you, where you're at or you're going to be where that's at, right? So the farther away you see, the more time you're, you're going to give yourself because if you see an accident or if you see uh, you know, a, a, a blockage, something that's blocking your way that is five seconds away from you, you're going to have all those five seconds to do something. The problem is how fast you're going and how fast you're going to get to uh, to that point exactly, right? So if you're if you're doing I don't know 60 miles an hour, and I'm not I'm not going to get into the math because I, I, my brain works in kilometers. That's always a problem. I but I, crossing the metric line over here for the UK. <laughs> exactly, we are we. And the U.S. is the only country in the world, actually, that still uses the, the <laughs> imperial in the world. <laughs> but every like when you're driving, everything that you're doing is feet per second. So if you don't understand that you have to make decisions now that are going to play out in the future, and we're talking about five or six seconds, and five or six seconds can be 100 to 200 yards from where you are or 200 feet from where you are, depends on how fast you're going, it's going to be really hard. To, uh, to make those decisions in time. And even, even when, you're, uh, when you're giving instructions to the vehicle, right? Let's say you're doing 100, uh, 100 miles an hour. And at, when, when you turn your wheel, you wanna switch lanes, you turn your wheel and to your brain that happens instantaneously because you just move over to the next lane. But if you look at the distance, while the mechanics of that turn happen, because at that moment, you're going to turn your wheel, it's going to send the order to the system that moves your wheel, going to push the rods, going to push the, the wheels, then the tire is going to eventually catch up with the wheel so that the, the car starts moving. It took fractions of a second. But when you're doing uh, 100 miles an hour, that's going to be several feet. And within those several feet, a lot of things can happen. And that's some of the things that you have to understand when, when you're doing the course is you have to turn at least three feet from the cone because if you turn right at the cone, by the time that process takes place, you're already on top of the, of the following cone. So you have to start looking into the future, giving yourself time. So the farther away you look, even on the corners, the farther away you look, the better, the, 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 most, the more time you're gonna have to make those decisions. And again, that is something that you only acquire over, over training. And you were saying about, uh, you know, how people get to a certain percentage and then they're going to drop. And especially when they're under stress, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you a, a, a terrible, uh, I have some terrible news for that. We ju I just read uh, a publication by the U.S. Army Research Institute for the Social and Behavioral Sciences that said that over time they've been able to, to measure how much of the skill that you practice in the course is lost over time. And 40% of your skill is going to be lost within the following six weeks of that training. So whatever you learn, 40% of it, you're going to lose it within six weeks. And then it's going to start slow decay until it's completely lost by 52, 57 weeks. So that's why you have retraining programs. With the mindset is not necessarily the case because you're making, and, and, and then we have to come back to the, to, to the basics, to what we were talking about earlier. Um, when you're training a security driver, you want them to have a certain level of skill, that's for sure. But you want them to be able to make decisions based on their limitations more than on a skill that they might no longer have. 
Mm. And that mindset, and that is why we expose people and we use this uh, easy drift technology uh, to remove 90% of the grip on the rear tires for a vehicle. So we can simulate situations that could happen at very high speed within the, yeah. within, within controllable speeds. Like we don't have to go above 40. And that will retrain your amygdala. It will give you if you if you understand the OODA loop. It's it's simple, right? You you have an input of information. What's going on with the car? You orient yourself. And the example that I use uh, usually, and when I when I teach the classroom, is let, let's picture a little boy, four years old. Never he's never gotten burned, and one day he's reaching out to touch a hot surface. So the input says that thing is irradiating heat. But there's no paradigm and the orientation part, there's no paradigm to tell him that that burns. So he's going to make the decision and he's going to actually go ahead and touch it. He gets burned. So that's what the, and that's the most important thing about the OODA loop. It's a feedback loop. It actually ends by reprogramming the amygdala or, or giving you a new paradigm or a new set of information so that the next time that happens, you can orient yourself better. So what happens the next time that little kid reaches out to something that is irradiating heat? The paradigm is there and it's going to tell you what, it's going to tell him that burns. So the decision will immediately be don't touch it. And he will, you know, retreat, retreat from what he was doing. It's the same thing that we're trying to do here on terms of the mindset, which will supersede the, the skill. If the skill is there, fantastic. But if you've gone for five years without another driver training, that skill is gone, but the mindset stays. And knowing what your tool can, cannot do is very, very important in what we think is going to benefit most for people that have that such a great limitation in time as professional security drivers do. It's very hard for people to train once a year. Sometimes the budgets are there, but the time is just simply not available. So what do we do to give something that will last for longer than a skill is a mindset. Yeah, it's it's the notion of neuroplasticity from neuroscience in that once the, the, the neurons that fire together, they wire together. So that mindset element will be longer lasting than the motor skills that you that you put on top of it. Like for me, my my only exposure to any kind of tactical pre precision driving was in the early stages of my EP, EP training 20 years ago, which I took two one day courses that covered a J turn and a handbrake turn. That is it. <laughs> that is it, right? So my, 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 I'm curious now, looking at the inverse side of that. If, if in a hypothetical situation, I were to come, uh, I were to come to one of your training classes, what am I doing that makes you think this this guy will be trouble? This guy, we have to spend a bit more time with. We have to do a bit more work. Is it too much ego? Is it too much? Has he seen one too many John Wick movies? You know, what what is it that's kind of pointing you out this human variable that makes you think once he gets into the car, we need to do a little bit more work with his mindset rather than the motor skills. You know, our our, our biggest ally in that regard when when it comes to egos because everybody everybody has big egos and and that is another misconception that we have in in society is that men drive better than women and that's absolutely not true and i'm, yeah. I'm going to tell you why because women don't necessarily have that necessity to prove that they're good drivers that men have mm -hmm. and they pay a lot more attention but our biggest ally when it comes to someone that comes and say hey i've been to combat i've been I've been law enforcement. I know, I know, I know, I know, and I've done, I've done, I've done, I've done, is uh, Isaac Newton. So we just face them 
with the physics and ask them to do the things that they say they can do or that they think they can do and and, and face them to the telemetry equipment because it's different when i tell them you know what according to i can do this let's say if you can do this is this is what the physics mark and i can tell you the 100 percent of the vehicle's capability is right here you can see it on the computer yeah if you go above it it's not going to be possible gotcha and then people and then people that have a big ego will try to go above it and we'll try to show people that they are better drivers and yeah. that they can do things that nobody else can do. And but physics, yeah. physics are you know, like Isaac Newton is very, very cruel. Yeah. And that, so, so we have we have that. <laughs> <advantage>. <laughs> I'm sorry, what's that? I said an object in motion stays in motion. Some of the the biggest things, like you said, is is teaching those high ego guys. I mean, I've had the opportunity to teach and. It's funny because like in a realm of special operations people, when it's come to driver training and the high threat side that I've had the opportunity to teach for a while, only times I've been rolled over in a vehicle has been when Navy SEALs have been driving. They're the ones that don't listen. Okay, do the course. And then when we're rolled over upside down with the cage in the car, and you're sitting there looking, I'm going, okay, now we want to get the car right side up. We're going to listen and do what I instructed you to do the first time, right? Because now we've created you know, like, what you do is nothing. <laughs> true, and uh, the beauty the beauty about newer vehicles is they don't roll over. They are they are designed to skid. Oh, nice. And the only the only the only way, and I'm talking about sedans. Some SUVs will roll over, but you know, sedans, lower lower center of gravity uh, kind of vehicles, they will only skid and they will slide and and and, and turn on its axis. The only thing you can turn or roll over the vehicles if you hit something. So, since we don't have that risk anymore, unless we're driving an, uh, an SUV or it's an armored SUV, which is even worse, but if we're only driving sedans, what we will do with somebody that has a big ego and thinks that they can do things that they cannot do or that they're not possible, we'll just let them try it and skid that car until they're satisfied and ready to pay attention. And uh, usually that involves a lot of frustration, but there's another thing that we explain to them when, when they get to the track is, our courses are frustrating because we are dealing with with physics. We're dealing with things that are, are unmovable. So if I tell you that you have to do it at 35 and you do it at 33, you're not at 35. You have to go on and you have to push yourself and it's doable. And frustration is a really good part of a training. If you're going to training and you're not getting frustrated is, how did how you call it, uh, Jim, enter training? Entertainment. If you're not getting frustrated when you're going to train, it's because you're doing things that you've all that you already know how to do. Our brains love and they default to laziness. Our brains love doing things they already know how to do because it's easy and it's simple and it builds on your ego, right? Because it makes you feel like you can do whatever you want or whatever you, you set yourself to do. When we do this type of training, and instead of 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 uh of going about and, and trying to face people with their egos. We, we, we try to let them do whatever they want until they are ready to listen. When frustration takes over and frustration is so big that they're ready to listen and pay attention to what you're saying. Again, going back to the rules of, uh, of it's called deliberate practice, right? We go one by one, we go very slowly. Your mind is very, very good at speeding up. It's very bad at slowing down. So we start by going slow and then we start developing from there. 
And uh, what comes out in the reports uh, and where you can find this type of, of, uh, of situations is one of the things that the report will give you is the top percentage or the, or the best percentage that the person can achieve in the different, different types of scenarios, different types of stress. But it will tell you how many times it took them to get to that point. And it's going to compare them to the rest of the group. So a person that can do 90% of the vehicle's capability, that's fantastic. But how many times did he, try, did he or she have to try to get to that percentage? And that is what is going to give you the, the, the level of skill that they came in with and, uh, you know, to start with the course. Usually what we're going to look for in the long run is a decrease in, these, in the amount of tries that this person is, yeah. is having. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you came for the first time and it took you 25 times to get to the 80 percent that we want. Yeah. And I did not set the 80 percent. That was kind of like a standard when we got there. We just yeah. developed the technology to measure it accurately. And uh, so it took you 25 times to get to that 80 percent. What I what I really want is to see you come back in one two years and have you do that in eight tries instead of 25. And that means that, like you say, the, that your brain is firing together, is creating those pathways or, or those connections, and it's myelinating or, or or isolating those pathways so that they fire faster and more efficiently. So that's what we what we're looking for is progress over time. And the mindset right from the get-go, we will expose everyone to go against their own limits, against the limits of the car, experience what can cannot be done. We no longer do J-turns or, uh, you know, the handbrake turns. First of all, there are no more handbrakes. They took the, all the fun out of cars. <laughs> they got rid of the handbrakes. And uh, so, now, so now you have no other option but to go forward. And... Um, but we do teach them a lot of reverse and we do teach right. them, we use the, the easy drift uh, driver training system that will remove 90% of the grip and that will feel like you're doing a handbrake turn, but without any control and controlling that gives you very, very fine driving. And at the end of the day, when you build those skills, you get a lot of added value skills that you were not training for, but it's kind of like when you do the wax on, wax off, it kind of like... Yeah. Just, you just build them. It's like yeah. when you teach with the with the easy drift, you le- you learn to drive softly, to not transfer the weight of the vehicle, to avoid that car skidding, and that translates into courtesy driving. Because one of the things that the principals complain about the most in our line of work is getting car seat because the driver is driving too aggressively. And the problem here is, when you're driving, you're not experiencing experiencing those that what the, what the person in the back is experiencing because you are looking into the future as i talked about earlier you're anticipating that situation you tense your muscles when you turn and you stay in place but the guy that's not paying attention is not going through the same situation so so he can feel every little movement people starting getting car seat they start complaining this guy is too too uh too aggressive he he wrestles with the car every time he's driving and the the easy drift will give you that um, fine driving skills that we need to develop as well for customer service, which is also very important in the in our line of work. Love it. Hundred percent. No, I, I love it. Um, absolutely like that because it's like trying to train guys. A lot of guys like to mash on the pedals, and it's different when you start teaching them like you can actually curl your toes and your shoe, you know, on the brakes and stuff like that. You can actually maintain and keep the vehicle level as opposed to smashing the brake, dipping the nose down, then you lose all that. And then they wonder why they lose all this different skill when it goes into a turn or, or cornering. 
because it dipped down, you know, physics, right, Paul? I mean, you know, all the weight comes forward there, well, you're not going to have it. But if you can keep the car level and smooth, then you can navigate turns and move a lot better. And it's understanding those those finesse points, I think. It's Newtonian um, again. Yeah. I just, I, I enjoyed it because I actually finally, after a couple of years of knowing Pablo, I finally got to take their course last year before the post-protection conference. So I got to take part in the two days of, of driving. So I got to, to see that and see some of the different egos around in the industry today getting behind the wheels. And you had different variations, you know, and some, uh, as Pablo said, some took a long time for a forward serpentine. I mean, I think there was one that took them like 25 tries to match what the course needed to match in order to get it to show consistency. Because what I love with what Pablo sets up too, it's not that you drive through the course once, like a lot of other driver training, law enforcement training that I've seen and gone through, is you go through, you meet that requirement at one time, and it's like, oh, you're good, you pass, and they chalk it up, but they don't really put it. What I like is they have to do it consistently. I believe it's three times in a row, at least minimum, to show that they oh, yeah. understood, demonstrated, and now can do it consistently, right? Once is luck, twice is skill. See, there you go. <laughs> so, yeah. It's kind of like building, and, and it's it goes back to what Ben said about myelinating, myelinating that that connection or that that mm. uh, that brain wiring. Mm. If you do it once, it fired, but it just remained in that. So you do it twice, and ideally, you have to do it three or four times, or five times, or a hundred times, right? Mm. And the more you do it, the more it's gonna build that white stuff around that wire connection that's going to make it faster is going to make it more automatic but being realistic and since we don't have the time to do that we have to uh we have to go with you do it three times you're good you'll come back but it creates the mindset you've failed at it so many times that now you know what failing at it means and what the consequence will be if you fail at it in the real life right yep and that and that you do and that you do see out there Especially, you see a lot of guys that haven't really driven a car backwards before. Or you take someone like me who's been teaching for a while, but the way we teach in law enforcement is we look out the rear window. So in this course, we had the opportunity of using side mirrors and rear view mirrors, which is stuff that in law enforcement training or even driving certain types of armored vehicles, you don't have a back window to look at, you know? So it's like you have to use these side mirrors. And Pablo was nice enough to, to humble me on one course. I think I got the video somewhere where as I was driving backwards, he slapped the mirror on me and took my mirror away. <laughs> and, and I almost made it. I almost had it time to, to, to make it. But it was a point of but it was a good learning point because he said, okay, the mirror is gone, but then adjust. So it was, you know, stick your head out the window, look out behind you. They don't get stuck still staring at a a folded mirror that's no longer of use to you, you know, it creates that, okay, this happens, like Murphy's Law with this girl here, right? This, okay, we need to go to the next the next step. What's your next option in order for you to successfully navigate? And that's what I like is that, that out-of-the-box thinking, it's not just cones on a course and this is what you're going to do and this is what you got to get to do. It's actually science-backed. It, it's based on it's based on physics, skill. Um, and I'm a firm believer, Pablo Incredone is like, you know, if you don't have the right attitude, then there's nothing I can do for you. But if you come in with the right attitude, you might not know, you know, a, uh, a break from a spare tire, but I can teach you the skill. I can't get the attitude. I can't have you in that in the right mindset. I can give you the tools, but if you don't have that part of it, then the, the skill is not going to come. 
skills I can teach you all day. You got an open mind. I can take you to a drive range. I can teach you how to shoot. I can teach you how to drive. You know, then we can teach people how to interview and interrogate. But it comes down to, you know, where are you at up here when it comes to how you acquire the knowledge? You know, are you accepting of it? Are you understanding as a teacher? All the driving schools I have, you know, and, and I like it because Pablo had a different approach, a different methodology, slightly different ways that I teach. Some of the courses that we, we did, I've seen before, I've taught them and driven them, but now I had a different process behind it to take back with me and go, huh, I like the way that they interpreted that. I like the way that they're teaching this. And then you start adding it and putting it into what you do. And now we're constantly learning, you know, and that's why I love having these conversations with you, Paul, because I always get something new out of it. And then actually getting to be in your course, putting it together, it was more than just us talking. Now it's like, okay, let's go put it on the track. And I was sad. I, I did okay. You know, I, I was one of the, I think in our group, the first try to, to get through on a course that would let us know if we would meet the requirement for a security driver. I think I was one of like the three or four that passed it on the first try. There wasn't many guys that did it the first try. And then I did it on the second try while under stress, which was the, the higher stress part, which was funny for me. Maybe we could touch on this, Pablo, for you too, because with, with mine per se, with my scores then in this, right, it's starting off in a reverse course and it goes to a couple different segments in there. So one is kind of at your own pace, push yourself, go. The second one was where you're actually being just the counter ambush part where they have somebody with a paintball gun and the clock starts the minute they start shooting a paintball at you and going. I actually performed better and faster while under stress after being shot at than I did on the casual stroll per se. So uh, I found that interesting that I actually performed better under stress where other people did the opposite. And I, I I honestly don't have the explanation of why that happened. I do I I do find that a lot of people perform better under stress than without stress, and it's because their brain tends to disconnect. Uh, in according to what I've read from Colonel Grossman, uh, mostly is it's because your brain is defaulting to the skills that you've already acquired. Some people even under stress are, trying, are, are still trying to make decisions and analyze the situation. And they're trying to pay attention to everything that's going on around them. And that just adds to their time. And that's why they fail. And in a couple of situations, we have had people that have, their brain have completely short-circuited. And we have people that have slammed on the, on the gas and off they go because the, the yeah. brain takes, it takes them some time to, to actually realize what's going on. Yeah, it's and the- uh... reacts different. I was gonna say that that's the old Mike Tyson quote, right? Everybody has a plan to get punched in the face, and that's like the, the you punch get punched in the face, face. You know. But then, and but then, then as stress inoculation fight, happens, fight, you, freeze, you know. Yep. So it's like, what do you have, fight or flight? And I think that's kind of ingrained in you. And I think the freeze happens as if you never experienced before, so you don't know whether to fight or flight, so you get stuck, you know, and you're frozen because the brain just shuts down because it does no file to pull from and go, what do we do here? And it just they they crap. They, they just crap out right there and just get stuck. Yeah, and, and usually the people that have gone through stress inoculation training are the, are usually the ones that react the best under stress because they have that kind of, uh, you know, they have that kind of programming where the brain shuts down and they start doing things where people that have never gone through stress inoculation, they the, the brain shuts down, but they're stuck. Mm. And they're trying to analyze the situation. And then one of, one of the things that we, we see here uh, quite often is when we try to open the doors 
for for people. I don't know if you if, if you saw that or if we did it at, at the course that you were at. But sometimes we just come out of nowhere when we have the, the the paintball gun, and we will just open the door, pull on the handle, and open the door because most people forget to lock their doors, and just shout, "Get out! Get out! Get out!" A lot of people freeze in that moment, and they look at you, and it's kind of like you you can see their eyes moving, trying to find the answer somewhere. Of mm-hmm. do I go? Do I stop? Do I get out? Do I pay attention? <laughs> it's kind of like. But usually, people that have gone through stress inoculation will immediately take off. Yeah. They won't. They they won't look for that answer. They, it's it's okay. called heuristics, right? You go for the heuristic is take off, go, and get off the X and get out of the way. Exactly, and after you've gone through it a couple of times, uh, people start reacting better. It's yeah. it's about reacting and doing the right thing. The problem here is, and we don't want to push that very much because we're creating a skill at some point and we don't want people, when somebody comes up with a gun and you're in the middle of San Francisco and somebody comes up with a gun and says, get out. And if you floor it, you're going to run into the car in front of you and you're just going to make a mess. While if you get out, you might lose your watch and your wallet and that's it. And yep. that's something that I like from Mike Panone and uh, on one of the conferences that he did. And that he said that he came back from being Mike Pannon, Delta Force, uh, you know, on tour several times, and then come back home being reconstructed because he actually got reconstructed most yeah, of the time. Yeah, he got blown up, yeah. He said it's aftermarket. And then realizing that he's this little girl's father and his new skill that he has to learn is how to surrender. And not everything is a fight. And sometimes it's better to surrender, it's safer to surrender. And, and going back to what I was talking about earlier, you have to look into the motive. If it's an active shooter and you surrender, you're going to die. But if it's a mugger, something, all the one is your watch. And you've gotten to that point where you have to surrender, actually, and you have to you have a gun pointed at you. The probability of you getting away from that situation is very little. While if you just give him your watch, you've lost the watch. Yeah. But, and I talk about this, and uh, if they go to, uh, you know, the people that are listening, if they want to they wanna listen about the stages of execution that we that we have tested and tried in Mexico thousands of times is uh, an EP access, my course in, in, in security for the security professionals. Talks a lot about this and how so many things have to fail for you to actually find yourself in a situation where you have a gun pointed to your face. And the moment you have that gun pointed to your face, your best bet is to surrender. Unless it's an active shooter, of course, because the motive changes. But if the motive is economic, if somebody, you know, a homeless man in San Francisco gets a knife, puts a guy, the, the knife to your neck and says, give me your watch, you can try to fight that knife off, right? But the probability of just giving him your watch and walking away from it, it's a lot safer. And uh, it's new but so many things have to have failed. I beg your pardon? I was just going to say it's it's Newtonian again. Speaking of physics and uh, Isaac Newton, that I think it's the second law of motion. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. So for that, third for the law, homeless yeah. man with yeah, third law, excuse me, for for, uh, for for the homeless man with the knife, what is the equal and opposite reaction to that that would allow me to move away from it in the safest manner possible? If it's a watch, cool, I'm gone, done. Yeah, yeah just it's a smart, you, you lost your watch, but. But you have to do a lot of things wrong to get that to that point. So yeah. if you train yourself in situational awareness, and if you train yourself in certain habits that you have to incorporate mm-hmm. into your daily life to kind of like become the worst possible business for that man to actually pick you as a victim, then yeah. you're safe. You're, or you're generally oh. safe. 
your risk 100%. is a lot, or your, the odds are a lot better than, than the opposite. So uh, we do talk a lot about that and uh, it's been tried, as I said, the, the main risk still here in the US is getting robbed or getting carjacked or, you know, people want whatever you have on you at the moment. And the, the, the probability of you getting stabbed over a watch in San Francisco is a lot greater than for you getting stabbed in Mexico City for a watch. Maybe because Mexico City nobody fights the, the robber, right? Everybody just says, hey, here, yeah. take it. But uh, because, we, because we, we've had it for so long, we, we know how to deal with it. Yeah. But, uh, well, but comes, I, I do think that's important to, planning to understand. Aspect. You know, it, it comes down to planning. You know, they say, you know, piss poor planning leads to piss poor performance. You know, you're going to San Francisco, do your due diligence and the homework on it. And you're going to make, what are those common things there? And then your situation is going to dictate your mission. Right? What are you I mean, going there to do? Exactly. What's that there that, that would dictate that? And then the environmental stuff that also will. What, why you why would somebody approach you to steal a watch from you? 100%. Nice and stein. That might be, Check it out. But, but that might be where I wear the cheap watch or the Garmin and not wear like a $7,000 bright light. You know, all these watches. It, it, that really, guys... it, it really doesn't matter, right? Because let's say I have a $7,000 Britling and you have that smart watch and we go to San Francisco and the moment I get into the car, I take it off, I put it in my pocket and you only have your 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 cheaper watch. You're a better, you're a better target than me because they can't see mine. That's true, but you're better looking too. You look like you, you look like someone <laughs> worth grabbing, you know? <laughs> That's the best kind of compliment, right? <laughs> No, but, but, but I, mean, I think we can do a whole a whole other episode on that part on planning <laughs> and all that. There you go. That's that's a very 100%. extensive and that's one of the subjects no. where we have but, the most experience on. But but then again though, but what you hit on there with that key point, right? That's you planning, right? Um well we're going to San Francisco. The probability of me getting, you know, held at knife point for my watch is likely. So what am I gonna do? Not wear a watch. You know, what was it like Mr. Miyagi back in the end of Karate Kid, you know, the best fight to be in, you know, you don't be there. Yeah. You know, it's like I tell people all the time when I'm teaching firearms classes, you get a text message, you're going to be in a gunfight tomorrow in a Walmart parking lot. What are you going to do? And you'll get various students. Oh, man, I'll be there. And this and all. I'm like, no, man. Don't go. You go shop in a Walmart parking lot. You go shop at Target. You go somewhere else. Like, <laughs> why, why would you want to be there and be in a gunfight? You know, so if you do the, the planning and have information and know how to process the information, that's you planning and mitigating. To reduce the likelihood and chance of you being selected as that guy that's going to be held at knife point. I mean, and, and again, that's mindset, <laughs> right? And and I love that it is Mike, Mike is really on that with the whole surrender part because that that is key. It's it's knowing just because you've been trained to fight, know how to fight, doesn't mean you have to fight. Which is why nobody in law enforcement could ever understood those of us that were defensive tactics instructors and all this why we weren't having the use of force incidents. Why weren't we the ones fighting everybody? Because we understand force. We understand the tactics. We understand the escalation. We know that fighting is the last resort, you know, but it's the, the ones that are untrained and uneducated yeah. are the ones that escalate and get themselves or others hurt in those situations. The more training you have, the more options you have, the more you know, hey, just because I'm trained in this level of skill doesn't mean I, I need it all the time. It's 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 a good to have. Absolutely, and instead of turning this into a, into a, into a nice chat, let's set a date for a, for a second uh, podcast if you want towards uh, the end of the year if you want, and I, I, we can go over all of this and some real real interesting examples that we've seen with no, our clients. No, I, I, I would I would love it because we're going to see each other again in Texas at the conference. I know you're doing another two day driving course out there. Um, 
So maybe we are in, uh, in December. We're doing another two-day course, and then we're doing. Yeah. We, we have several courses. We have uh, two more, two days in uh, Northern California in July. We have two days in Southern California in October, and two days in Texas in Dallas in December. Yeah, and then of well, course we have a plenty of training in Mexico for those people who want to, you know, have a very yeah, shiny. I, I I've got to come to Mexico resume. and try out the training there because I know I will see you in, in Texas before the conference. And just to kind of take it in, I'll help you out if need, but just to see what students there and there. And I think it's just more stuff we can get in and dive in. Um, and again, this is, it was, it's been great having you. It's been a great conversation. And I hope everyone listening here understands and looks at, you know, although we're looking at things from the security driving aspect, some of the key things that kept popping up is the human elements and things, the human behaviors, right? The, the ego suppression. Um, you know, I loved how you touched on Boyd's Buddha, the decision-making process. That's everywhere. Uh, the right attitude. That's all the stuff Ben and I get into tuck into when it comes into we're teaching behavior profiling, if we're teaching interviewing, how to converse with people. All this stems from the same core key concepts and Pablo touched on situational awareness. That's huge. But it all starts with our own awareness, right? Because you can't be situational aware if you don't have, we don't have our own awareness yet. So once we know ourselves, understand how we work, how our brains work, and open ourselves up to that learning and growing, then we can start being situationally aware. We can start becoming a better security driver, a better executive protection professional. Heck, even a better valet at a hotel. You know, it doesn't matter what industry you're in. It all comes from mindset, human, everything in between. And uh, I hope people are kind of seeing how this all comes together. And um, it's been really great, Pablo, having you. It's been a great conversation. I can't wait to see when this comes out and then putting things out there. And I'm looking forward to, we'll, we'll, we'll set something for the end of the year, if not sooner. I know, I know I'll see and talk to you soon and we'll, we'll put something together because I think we can dive more into not just the driving aspects, but we can really dive into the mindset parts and stuff. What do you think, Ben? I mean, absolutely. It's, it's been, it's been uh, amazing to, to listen to you speak. It's been an eye-opener for me, given that I am the ignorant Englishman in the scenario. I'm stuck over here in uh, uh, England. <laughs> we drive on the wrong side, right, uh, after all? And to have you know? too many regulations. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, but, yeah, it's uh, the, the overall factor is it kept coming back to humans have an influence on this. Humans have an influence on this. If you don't get your mindset right as a human, you can't, you, everything starts with, you know, homo sapiens. And the fact that we can really open out all of these differences and the nuances that maybe aren't as touched on as much because they don't feature as heavily in the entertainment side of whatever bloody YouTube video somebody's fascinated with at this stage, right? The fact that we can deal with practical applications of material that works, why it works, and look at the reasons behind why it works. Chef's kiss. Chef's kiss. And, and you know what? And I have nothing against people that want to have fun and want to go ram cars and things like that. And by all means, do it. But just be aware that what you're learning is not real life. And, uh, you know, technology advances things like that. We talked about how they took away all the farm from a vehicle by taking by, you know, by removing the handbrake, the e-brake. The e so, uh, I mean, we have to, we have to work with what we have and, uh, all these fantasy things. If you want to go out and train to, you know, to be able to kill zombies by all means, but be aware that that's not real life. And that well, you got to see where it's realistically applicable, right? 
You know, don't be driving an outdated Crown Vic with push bars on it doing pit maneuvers when you know you're going to be driving, you know, uh, an upscale Cadillac Escalade in Washington, D.C. It's, it's irrelevant there. And if you're going to do some training where you might need that, then maybe you might want to look into what vehicles. Like if you're going to Africa, they still drive right side drive vehicles, right? You know how to do that. You know how to drive off a road because most of the terrain is dirt and sand. If you're constantly driving on the pavement, doing all this other stuff, but then you go to Dismay and you don't know how to get a, a vehicle stuck out of soft sand, well, your training's been kind of irrelevant, right? So I would say, well, we could probably agree on, on this is vet the training, right? Is it relevant and applicable to what you do? You know, vet the instructors. Do they have the experience, knowledge, and expertise in what you're trying to learn to develop this skill? And what's your curriculum look like? I don't think there's any harm in that. I think if I message you, Pablo, and ask you for a curriculum of what I should expect to learn, I know I would get an email back saying this, 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 and this. But there's been people I've sent and said, hey, I'm interested in your course. What can I expect to learn as a student? And I get some kind of smart aleck response or no response. Well, then you're answering it for me because you should be able to tell me what I should be able to learn. What am I going to be able to apply? What kind of skills am I going to be able to expect to start getting comprehended and be able to develop? And that's what's missing out here today. They're not giving context. They're shooting what stuff is that looks fun and cool, but it's not relevant and you're not creating any good fundamental skill set, which I will say you will get that and then some if you have the opportunity to take a course at AS3 because it gave me a bunch of insight and I love the fact that I can actually see. It's not guessing, like I said, you you didn't knock over any cones and you did the course in less than two minutes. You did great. However, if I did that same course to Pablo's measurement, I come to find out that I really sucked and maybe got a 30%, even though I made the time, but I didn't meet any parameters. I didn't test the vehicle the way that it should, let alone I don't have the skill to maybe get there. Um, so I always say that, you know, bet this, look it out, check out AS3 driving, Pablo's team, those guys are great. And uh, there's going to be plenty of opportunities you'll be seeing posted, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Absolutely. We'll be happy to see you all. And uh, I really I really enjoyed the, the conversation. It was it was great. Thanks for inviting me. Us too. Thanks again, Thank sir. Bye, everyone.